This morning I want to share with you on two people's journeys to Jerusalem. We're at that time of year when we begin to think about the culmination of Jesus' purpose of being on earth. With the, the Next week Ed will be preaching and I suspect he'll be preaching around the triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. And the week after that, Mike will be preaching and that will be about the crucifixion, I'm almost sure. But I want to have a look at the run-up to that. And the reality is that at this time we begin to look at the fact that Jesus arrived in Jerusalem and was crucified and rose from the dead. But it was the culmination of a journey that was set before him from the moment he was born. But the truth of the matter is he didn't immediately, when he began his ministry, march off to Jerusalem to die. When he started his ministry at the age of 30, a lot of things happened before that culmination. If we go back in the New Testament and have a look, we'll see that after he announced his, his purpose and his, his arrival by being baptized, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted, and he was prepared for the ministry he was going to have. From there, he went on and began to travel around preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. He began to prepare people to understand what they should do with the gift that he was about to bring. He didn't just come and die on the cross. He came and prepared us to understand what that meant and what we should do. So he traveled around, and the main thrust of what he was preaching was that the kingdom of God was at hand, that he was bringing in a new dispensation. He was bringing in a new relationship with God. Along the way, he does a lot of things. He preaches and teaches. He collects a group of disciples around him. And in that time, he begins to train them up and equip them and prepare them to carry on the work of the ministry when he's gone. I need to switch my notes on. He travels widely. He moves around the country. He even leaves the country on one occasion and travels over to Gadarene to go and deal with the, the person that we know as the Gadarene demoniac, the guy that was filled with many demons. He, t he casts out demons. He heals people. He feeds people. He fellowships with people. It's a time of great power and often great trial. He's persecuted along the way by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees who question him and who challenge him all along the way. But it's an exciting time as well. There is something that must have been incredibly fulfilling for him because we must always remember that Jesus, although he was the Son of God and he was very much God in the flesh, he had all the emotions and needs of a normal human being. And it must have been incredibly challenging at times to be traveling around. But there must have been times that were incredibly fulfilling as well. I know that on the times that we've been on our short mission trips that we go on, there's a joy of being in a team. He must have drawn real joy from those around him, from his disciples from the fun that they would have in between the hard work. I know that Ant and I are going to have at least one good meal in Cambodia that will be a real joy. And I see Ramon smiling because she probably knows it's going to be what we call red soup. It's actually a beef stew that we have in the mornings. But there, there is joy in it. There was a mixture for him of these things. It was, it was his life. He got up every morning and God brought into his life what he had planned for him for that day. But there comes a turning point, a specific point where... Everything changes, where everything literally turns. It says in Acts chapter, <sighs> beg your pardon, it says in Luke chapter 9 verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. There comes a time in these journeys and these joys and these challenges that Jesus says, it's now time for me to head to Jerusalem. And his focus becomes for the next while getting to Jerusalem by the Passover, and he knows what's going to happen because just before that, in just a few uh, verses before that, he has said to his disciples, 
The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus at this point turns and heads for Jerusalem, and he knows what's waiting for him. He knows that there's no fun, there's no earthly joy in what he's going to be doing now. He's heading for a place where he's going to be emotionally rejected, spiritually rejected, and physically brutalized for our sins. And his teaching begins to become more urgent. His teaching begins to become more focused as he moves in. I just want to run through some of the scriptures as we go through. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 58, he says, Jesus, somebody said to him, I'd like to follow you. I'd like to be part of this. Probably caught up in seeing what it was like to be part of this team with Jesus and the miracles that took place and the feeding of people that took place. And someone says to him, I'd like to follow you. And he says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he replied, Lord, please let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He becomes focused on the fact that something really, really serious is going to happen now, and those that are with him need to be prepared for this and be taught about this, and people need to be challenged. Just before he makes the decision to go to Jerusalem, it says that he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact that he said this before he was crucified. I wonder what they made of the fact that he talked about taking up your cross. We know now that he took up his cross and carried it to Golgotha. But they must have wondered what he was talking about, taking up our cross and following. But his challenges are coming thick and fast. In... Some strange sound effects coming through at the moment. And I see Stuart again. I'm blaming him for all of this. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. This intensity of purpose that he brings with him. And there's a reality that we might see that as being the only thing that he did from when he turned his face towards Jerusalem, that he became very, very serious, that he became very task-focused, that he became very challenging in what he did, that his teaching and his preaching was all focused on that. But I'd like to look at some other things that happened as he went along that road. In Luke chapter 10, which is after this has happened, he teaches the parable of the Good Samaritan. Even though he's focused, he knows he's going to die, he knows this is his final journey, he stops and he teaches people about love, being a neighbor, caring for one another, and sharing. A little bit later, he teaches his disciples to pray. They come to him and say, teach us to pray. And he teaches them about daily sustenance from God, about daily bread, about being reliant on God. He teaches them about persisting in their prayer life. He stops on the way in Luke chapter 10 and verse 41 to fellowship with Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, and he teaches about fellowship and about being prepared to listen to him. The things that are part of his character and his nature, even though the focus of what he's doing has changed, remain. He doesn't forget the people that he's come. 
He's not so focused on getting people into the kingdom of God that he doesn't care about their well-being along the way. As we go further, we see that in Luke chapter 12 and verse 22, he teaches about anxiety and worry. Do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan runs after that, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And he talks about the peace of God. There is still the daily compassion. There is still the daily concern for the well-being of people. There is still the desire for those who follow him to have a full life and to know what that means to walk alongside him. In Luke chapter, sorry, in Luke chapter 13, verse 10, he heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath. It's not a case of Jesus up until now has been one person. He's been kind, gentle Jesus who has healed people and fed them and fed the 5,000 and, and done those kind of things. And now that he's heading to die, his mind is so taken up with his own suffering that's going to come that he doesn't care about people around him. There's so many examples as he goes forward of him being caring as he goes. Um, in Luke chapter 17, verse 11, he heals 10 lepers, 10 people who had not at that stage committed their lives to him, but he stops, they have a need, he stops and he heals them by the grace and the love that's in his heart. A little bit further on, in Luke chapter 17, on his way to Jerusalem, he encounters a blind man. Sorry, that's in Luke 18. In Luke 18 also, people bring babies to him, and his disciples say, not now, he's too busy. They might have picked up on the sense of urgency. They might have picked on the seriousness that was with him when he was by himself. But still, Jesus says, no, bring them to me. The compassion still remains. Until eventually, he reaches Jericho in Luke chapter 19 and takes the time to befriend and convert an outcast. Takes the time to meet a man called Zacchaeus, to bring him down from a tree where he's trying to view the procession that's going past and to say to him, I need to come to your house, and gloriously changes his life and the life of all those around him. And there's a real example here for us of what it means to take up our cross and follow him. Not just a dedicated desire to fulfill the purpose that he's called us to, but a concern for the people that are with us along the way. And I want to draw a parallel because I love parallels in the Bible. I love the fact when things run close to one another because I'm sure God's trying to teach us something special. Because there was another person who set their mind very carefully to go to Jerusalem. Just give me one moment. My technology is not working this morning. Well, I'm not working. I can't blame the technology. I'm not doing it properly. That's no, plugged in, thanks, Tim. <laughs> I can hear. It's not your fault, Chris. There's another person who sets his mind. It says in Acts chapter 19 and verse 21, we've jumped forward in the Bible. Jesus is back in heaven. The new church has begun. The gospel is spreading throughout the kingdom. And a man called Paul, who started his life being known as Saul, but is now working amongst the Gentiles and is called Paul, has been traveling around for quite some time preaching the kingdom of God. And probably like Jesus, there were times that it was fun and there were times we know that it was a challenge. Along the way, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked. All sorts of things were happening in his life. But there comes a time in his life when he gets a call from God to head for Jerusalem. And it says in Acts chapter 19 and verse 21, After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I had been there, he said, I must go to visit Rome also. And Paul is setting himself a task that God has laid on him that he's now going to travel to Jerusalem and after that he's going to go to Rome, which at that stage is the center 
of the civilized world and also the center of persecution against the Christian church. And not only that, but it becomes evident to us as we go along that he knows that for him too there is arrest and suffering waiting. Let's just walk our way through some scriptures. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 22, he also is being very serious about this trip. He says to the people he's talking to, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 23, he says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, he says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that Christ has given me. And then there's an interesting thing. In Acts chapter two, uh, 21 and verse 10, it says, After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand them over to the Gentiles. Paul is fully aware of the fact that he's going to suffer a similar fate to Jesus in Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. The Jews are going to hand him over to the Gentiles. And he knows that ahead of him is a trip to Jerusalem and then a trip to, to Rome and that his life is going to end. And yet there is the same determination and the same commitment to going forward that we find when we look to Jesus. And I want to look at some things that happened on the way for, on the way for Paul. Along with this urgency that he has to go and accomplish what there is for him in Jerusalem. Just like Jesus, there is an attention to the needs of people around him. In 2 Timothy, no, I want to go a little bit before that first, excuse me. In Acts chapter 20, verse 1, he says, after being threatened in Ephesus, he called the local church to encourage them. Paul calls the church together before he leaves. He's had a riot in Ephesus. He's been threatened but before he leaves, he calls them together and encourages them and tells them that they can carry on with the, the message that he's given them. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, an interesting thing happens. Paul both preaches a man to death and raises him from the dead. You might have heard of a guy called Eutychus. On his way in Troas, Paul stops, and he's so full of the urgency of imparting the kingdom of God to the people that he's with and urging them to do the right thing that he preaches, and he starts preaching in the evening, and he preaches right through the night. And in the course of that, a young man is sitting in the window of the, of the hall that they're preaching in, and he falls out, falls three stories, and dies. And Paul stops preaching, goes down, raises him from the dead, comes back and preaches till dawn. There is a real attention to the fact that people need to know he's trying to impart as much as he can before he leaves them behind. But he doesn't just leave a dead man in his wake. He's still the compassionate healer, and person that he's always been. And then finally, as he's making his way, he has to pass by Ephesus, but he stops nearby and he sends for the elders and he brings them to him and he encourages them. And I guess the, the message that I'm trying to get across to you is that all of us have a journey that God has called us to. And there are going to be times that that serving of God is going to be fun. It's, it's great to be in church this morning, isn't it? It's, it's great to be in fellowship with one another. It's great to be around God's word. It's great to worship together. As I said, Ant and I are off tomorrow morning to, to Cambodia. There's going to be some challenges on trips before there have been some challenges. When you get a little bit of a bug and your intestines turn to water, that can be a bit of a challenge. It's going to be running pretty hot. It's going to be quite dusty, long journeys in bumpy minibuses. But there's going to be great fun as well. There's going to be 
times when we see the Spirit of God moving, there's going to be real rejoicing in our hearts. Times are like that, but there are going to be times in our lives, quite possibly, when God's going to call us to something hard. There are possibly going to be times in our life when God calls us to something that's not fun, that isn't fulfilling at that moment, possibly, that doesn't feel great, when there's sacrifice involved. I haven't asked him permission, but more than 20 years ago, Anton Helen decided to leave their home in South Africa and to come here. And I seem to recall in conversations with them that they knew God had called them to plant a church, but they were thinking about some pretty impressive places they were going to go to. Singapore came into the picture and so forth. And God said to them, Watford. And they left the sunshine and they left the friends and they left the family. And although it's greatly fulfilling for them now, I know because I also left the country about 20 years ago, it was jolly hard in the beginning. And there are going to be times that God's going to say, turn your face and set your face towards the task that I've called you to. And I trust at that time that you will be as urgent and as dedicated and as focused as both Jesus and Paul were as they made their way to Jerusalem for God's purpose and destiny for them. But I want to challenge you that along the way as that happens, that you retain the compassion and the desire to serve those around you, that you will have the joy of the journey. You know, I mentioned that I come from South Africa. They're, they're pretty long journeys that take place there. It's a big country. And we used to travel quite regularly from Johannesburg where we lived down to where we came from in the Cape Province where my parents were. And it's a 13-hour car drive. You can see that as being something where you put your head down and you push your way through. And I've done that. And you can see it as a chance to stop along the way and picnic and share with people and stop off and see friends. And you can make it a different kind of a journey and you can have the joy of the journey. And I would say to you that prepare yourself because if you are as dedicated as Jesus was, which I don't think any of us can really get to, or as committed as Paul was, God's going to escalate what he asks you to do. And there are going to be times that that's really challenging and really requires focus and dedication. But I want to urge you to have the joy of the journey to have the joy of still maintaining your love and compassion for those around you and not running past those who need you. You know, the story that I just brushed past to the blind man that was healed on the way into Jericho, a guy called Bartimaeus, he was sitting at the side of the road and Jesus came through with his entourage and with the crowds that followed him and he was calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people were saying to him, shh, be quiet. And in the midst of it, Jesus turns around and says, I'm not going any further, what's that man need? Let us be like that as we walk our calling in life, that we don't have ears that are so blocked by the intensity of our commitment to what we're going to do next week or next week or the next month or the year after, that we don't hear the cry of the person sitting next to us for time and attention and love and prayer. I just want to end by looking at something else because what really took Jesus It says to us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our motivation during those tough times, it talks about Jesus for the joy that was set before him. And I just had a look at what the Greek word was there. It's the word kara, and it means literally a joy that brings peace, exceeding joy. Jesus' confidence in the purpose that God had for him and the fulfillment of that and the consequence of that was so deep that that sustained him on the road. 
Paul carried that same joy, and they both expressed the completion of that journey in different ways. Paul says it in this way, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Jesus expresses it much more simply. He just says, it is finished. I want to encourage you. Let's enjoy the journey now when we have this comfort that we have together as a family. Let's enjoy the journey when we are isolated and alone and stressed and called upon to do things that are difficult. And let's do that because we have placed before us this wonderful joy that leads to peace and exceeding joy in the promises that we have in God. I was a bit challenged this morning because I came in with quite a heavy message of commitment and goals, and everything that was said this morning in our prayer time was about joy. And the two do go together, that commitment and that urgency to complete God's fulfilled plan for us brings that great joy that passes understanding. And we'll be able to say with Paul that he's finished the race, he's run the race, he's completed the task, and we'll be able to say with Jesus, it is finished. And I pray that for us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you call us into your plans and purposes. Thank you that very often they're joyful, they're fun, that they're full of companionship and the love of the family of Christ. We acknowledge, Lord, that sometimes the, the, what you call us into can be lonely and challenging. Thank you for the example of both Jesus and Paul. Thank you for the encouragement of the joy that we have before us and the joy that we can have in the journey. And I pray that for each of us, that at no point will, be, will we become unhearing of those around us or uncaring of the needs of those that we're amongst. Help us to be compassionate in our urgency, we pray. Amen.